Welcome to the podcast that puts a finger on the pulse of medicine and technology. On this show, you'll hear from investors, industry executives, and healthcare providers on the science and business of medicine. I'm your host, Omar M. Khatib, and this is the State of MedTech. Back to the show. So this episode is a venture capital and investor show. Um, of course, if you're neither one of those, that doesn't mean that you can't be here. We're actually happy that you're here, which reminds me, if you're a clinician, say you're a physical therapist, occupational therapist, a surgeon, a physician, a nurse, if you need continuing medical education credits, the state of MedTech has you covered. So this episode is actually eligible for you to unlock a AMA PRA Category 1 CME credit courtesy of our partners over at CMFI. That's right. Just by listening to this episode, of course, if you're watching it, whether it's on YouTube or Spotify, um, you can unlock uh, this uh, credit just by checking the show notes below and you'll find a link. Click that link, go over, and it'll take 30 seconds for you just to write very quickly um, what you learned from the episode. doesn't matter what it is. Just write down and reflect what you learned. And guess what? you're going to pay nothing. That's right. The state of med tech makes sure that we take care of our clinical audience. This is one way that we decided to help, which is we're actually fronting the bill and paying for this ourselves. And so you pay nothing. All you got to do is click the link uh, below, get that, uh, that CME credit by unlocking it through your reflection. Again, thanks to CMFI. So what's the episode today? Well, the episode is a very interesting one. So the episode we're covering today is new markets, specifically shoulder health, right? Now, this is something that's very interesting that I wanted to point out, and this is why I'm having this special guest on. Shoulder health really doesn't actually exist. There's uh, shoulder surgery, there's shoulder rehabilitation, but when you think about the shoulder, which by the way, anatomically, it's like one of the worst designed uh, uh, parts of our bodies because it's, it's just, you know, it's just so sensitive when it comes to injury, right? Because of the way the way it's shaped and of course all the activities we do. Um, there's nothing really around shoulder health, which is how do you um, gauge whether you have, you know, a healthy shoulder, right? How do you know whether your shoulder is strong enough um, or healthy enough to take on certain types of activity? And so that's why I invited our guest today. Our guest today is actually a good friend of mine, somebody who I'm uh, proud to call a mentor, and that's Chris Prentice. Chris Prentice uh, was actually the uh, leader and the CEO who uh, believed in me early in my career when I was in sales and convinced me to uh, move over to marketing. So that was over 10 years ago when we were both working at Mazor Robotics, the world's first robotic spine platform. Uh, Prentice, uh, as we call him, uh, was the CEO for Mazor Inc., which is the U.S. division. And, you know, what a great success story that was because Mazor ended up being acquired by Medtronic for $1.6 billion. And so since then, um, you know, Prentice uh, took, some, took some time off, spent time with family. And so this next company was the first one he went to, uh, which is Harmonic Bionics, right? And Harmonic Bionics is based out of Austin. We'll get into all the details of it. But what they're doing is quite fascinating because they are essentially an upper extremity robotic system for not only shoulder rehabilitation, but shoulder health. And the reason why I mention it is that, as you'll see in the episode, they are digitizing shoulder health using data-driven robotics. And of course, as many of you uh, have uh, been aware of on this show, I've, I've kind of made this prediction that 
oh, maybe it's not so much of a prediction anymore. I still think it kind of is. That I feel that hardware is making a comeback, right? Data is a big play, of course, and a lot of investors love data. But the question is, do you have a, a piece of hardware that changes the process for a clinician and in doing so is able to accurately capture data? Because when you do that, right, if you capture data, if you, if you automate a process, you capture data along the way, at that point, you essentially have owned that part of the body. Perfect example of this uh, is Petrero Medical, who's uh, much further along than Har Harmonix. Harmonix, I believe, has raised uh, a Series A, or they're about to raise a Series A. Petrero's done up to a Series D, and Petrero has now uh, received breakthrough, uh, FDA breakthrough designation, right, for their predictive algorithm for the kidney. So what Petrero did was they had a critical care monitor, it automated urine output, which had to do with the kidney, and once they've automated a vital sign like that and digitize an organ, Petrero essentially owns the kidney because nobody else has that data. I personally believe that harmonics can do the same thing because nobody owns shoulder health. That's not even a category. And harmonics is essentially going after the uh, creation of a new category. And in doing so, again, automating a process, capturing data. And if they are successful in doing this, they will digitize and own the shoulder. So it's very exciting. So when I saw this, you know, again, uh, I, I'm pretty good when it comes to new technologies. And I think that between the leadership and the talent that they have there and the technology, it's, a, it's gonna be a very exciting company we're gonna hear a lot about. So with that being said, let's get straight into the episode. And if you're watching this, if you're listening to this on Apple, you can go ahead and continue listening. But if you prefer to watch so you can see uh, the videos, because we will be pulling up videos of the robotic system. You can either go on over to YouTube or you can actually watch this on Spotify. So some of our episodes are actually video. You can watch it on Spotify as well. So, but that being said, you can also just, you know, feel free to listen on Apple. And when you do, please do us a favor, give the show five stars, write a review. It helps us a lot. We are climbing the charts. We're climbing the charts. Thanks to you, you, the listener for giving those great uh, reviews for us. So make sure you give us five stars, write a quick review. Um, and if you're on Spotify, check the notes. Uh, aside from the links, you also have a chance to, you know, submit uh, a, a poll and give us feedback. Who, do you, who else do you want to hear on the show? What company should we cover? So with that being said, long enough of an introduction, let's get right, right into the episode. And so here is our episode with Christopher Prentice, CEO of Harmonic Bionics. And hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm very excited to be here. I'm excited to have a special guest join, which we'll be bringing him on in a moment. I'm Omar Khatib, and this is the state of medtech, where we sit at the intersection of business, technology, and medicine. Today's show, new markets, specifically for investors and those of you who are in the venture capital community. But we do have a lot of clinicians who have registered for this event as well, and I got great news for you as well. If you're a clinician, whether you're a surgeon, physical therapist, occupational therapist, nurse, if you need continuing medical education credits, guess what? That's right. This episode, whether you're listening to it on the podcast, watching live right now, or watching on YouTube, will qualify for a CME credit. You'll get an AMA PRA Category 1 credit as long as you use the link. I'll be sending that link out after the show, or you can check the show notes below. Click that link. Take a you know, second or two, write down what you learned from the show, and doing that is going to unlock your AMA Category 1 credit, thanks to our partners over at CMFI. So if you're new to the show, 
We always started off the same way. Go ahead and drop the comments. Let us know what city you're joining in from. Of course, you know, we're going to be taking live Q&A throughout the entire show, right? So drop your questions in there. We'll highlight it, right? And if you're an investor and you ask some really good questions, I might just bring you on live as well. So let me do a quick sound check. And looks like everything's working. So let's see those comments. Go ahead and drop them in. What city are you joining in from? And I will highlight it. All right. I love the emojis, by the way. Really appreciate the emojis, right? All right, look at that. Mazen Khatib joining from Istanbul. Hey, Mazen, glad you can join the show. Thank you, Dr. Khatib. All right. That's okay. Perfect. Looks like everything is working. So we'll give that a couple more seconds. I see people filing in. Great to see everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. We'll be starting soon and bringing on our guest, CEO Christopher Prentice, CEO of Harmonic Bionics, a very exciting company. And what we're going to be talking about today is a new market. I think that's a very big topic these days for a lot of investors. And the reason why is because in your investment strategy, you always want to look for uh, new markets to invest in. Nobody wants to invest in the Me Too product, the Me Too company. You want category designing companies. And while Prentice is a good friend of mine, we do have some tough questions to press him on because I need to know, does this technically qualify as a new category? And what, is make, what makes harmonics unique? All right, now I see the comments coming in. All right, look, we got some familiar faces. Paula Rutledge, founder of one of the uh, great med tech recruiting companies in our industry, Legacy Med Search. Paula, thanks for joining us. It's great to see you. I think Paula will be at, I think uh, her or some of her team will be at LSI next week. All right, head of marketing over at Harmonix, Stephanie Shipman, another good friend of mine. Hey, Steph, thanks for joining us. Joining from Orlando. Another great recruiter, Mike Moore. One of the one of the only recruiters that I know that sits at the intersection of MedTech, MedDevice, and the SaaS world. Mike joining us from Hermosa Beach. Glad you can join us. All right, Tom, and I hope I don't mess up your name here. Tom Szyszewski, uh, Szyszewski. There you go. Joining him from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Another familiar name, Greg Van Dyne from Colorado Springs. All right, thank you for joining us. Fantastic, fantastic. Well. I think we've done enough shout outs. So again, I know a bunch of people are coming on. Start asking your questions. We'll bring up, but I have some questions to ask our guests. So let me bring um, on. My guest today is the CEO of Harmonic Bionics, Christopher Prentice. Christopher Prentice is actually the first CEO that I worked for who had an illustrious career starting from Intuitive and also was the CEO of Mazor Robotics, Inc., the U.S. division, which many of you know was the first robotic spine platform in the world eventually getting acquired by Medtronic for $1.3 So the question is, what does Chris see in Harmonic Bionics? What is this new category? So let me bring him on to the show. Prentice, can you hear me and can you see me? Yep, we're good. Nice Fantastic. Great seeing you too. Great seeing you too. So first of all, where are you, where are you joining uh, in from? We're in uh, Austin, Texas. That's where Harmonic is located. So I'm right okay. here. Lovely Austin, Texas. It's a great day. Fantastic. The great state of Texas, right? That's right. Well, fantastic. So, Prentice, look, we got some great questions uh, lined up for you. Um, I was able to coordinate with your uh, company and get a few videos. We want to kind of look at the technology and walk it through. But why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself, a little bit of your background. And, of course, like, you know, the question that I always wonder is, like, for somebody like you with your executive experience in data and robotics, what drew you to harmonics? Like, what 
what makes it special? What makes it different? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I go by Prentice. So if you ever meet me, call me Prentice, anybody out there. Um, so I've been in the game here for about 24 years. I actually started in uh, at the kind of, end of surgery as an OR salesman um, and then moved on up into product management, uh, then joined into intuitive surgical when there was less than 100 systems, uh, helped grow that up. Uh, I did a stint as a hospital administrator at Tampa General Hospital and then joined Mazor Robotics, um, helped grow that up, as you just said, and, and we ended up selling that off to, to Medtronic and then joined here at, at Harmonic. So to your question on what, what excited me, I think if you look at my, my history, I've gone from the big houses. I started in a big blue chip like J&J, &J, went to a smaller. When I joined Intuitive, it was not, I wouldn't say first year startup by any means. It was two, three years into commercialization. So I, I saw that and then moved into Mazor, which was first year commercialization really in America, but it had a, uh, you know, an established presence internationally and, and so forth. So now I'm in a company where it's the, you know, that, that stereotypical, it was two people in a room with a prototype, you know, and building that up. So that was the first thing that, that excited me about is like, okay, if you look at my career, I went from big shop, smaller, smaller, and growing back up. And now I'm at the, I started at the smallest I've ever started with, you know, two people in a room, literally. So that was exciting. That was challenging. I like to do hard things. And then also when I looked at what was going on, it's a robot, which I have an affinity for robots, of course. It's been 20 years in, in robots, but it wasn't just a robot for the sake of a robot. Uh, what I saw was a uh, whole area that hadn't been addressed at all. I was I learned about the rehab market and how massive it is and how many uh, patients are in it, how many facilities are in it. And then I started to look at and there's the technology in it was not just 20 years ago. It was 40 years ago. It hadn't been tapped at all. Um, and then talking to the caregivers, the clinicians about what they go through. And I saw the, you know, the, the issues they had. And then here we had this opportunity to bring, you know, technology in to help that caregiver, to help that clinician, which ultimately helps that patient. It, it's just what I like to do. And it was like, okay, bam, the universe spoke to me and it was time to, time to get to work. Got it. And how long have you been there for, uh, uh, since your, since your start? Yeah. So I, I joined in late 2019. Um, so it was like the September timeframe of 2019. I had just handed off Mazor to, to Medtronic and, uh, it was through board members that knew each other. That's how uh, the board member of Mazor knew a board member of, of the harmonic. And that's how I got the introduction. So I flew out to Austin, uh, got to meet the founders who are brilliant mechanical engineers, really good uh, people as well. And, you know, I saw something there. So that was like time to time to start, but we had literally nothing at that time. We had a prototype that had come out of an academic research lab. So it was like time to get to work and start building a company. Got it. Got it. And let's start there, by the way, because, you know, for somebody like you, you know, having uh, been at a company like Intuitive and then Mazor, you know, you end up having a very specific set of criteria based on not only the, the next company you join, because, you know, startup life is very difficult. Most startups fail. What specifically about the technology and and, you know, I guess we'll get to the market in, in a moment, struck you as different than just your regular robot. Because back when you and I started at Mazor 10 years ago, you know, there wasn't a lot of robotic companies. Now it feels like they're, every company's trying to have a robotic company. And so that's the first thing I got to get skeptical about is like, what, what specifically about this makes it special? Yeah, so the way I look at it, Omar, is I got excited about it. It wasn't like a, a 
a robot that was created and then was searching for a solution. Uh, this system was created for the, the need of actually what's going on with, with shoulder care. Um, the genesis of it, I'll, I'll tell you the story of the genesis of it. It comes from one of the uh, co-founders, Ashish Despande, who's a professor at University of Texas, who actually in, got hit himself. He was injured. He, he injured his upper extremity and needed to go in for therapy. Well, his sister was a therapist, and he had no idea what she really even did. So in his course of therapy, he learned about all her struggles and what they needed to do, and then saw the lack, you know, being a, a scientist and a mechanical injury, saw the lack of data in it. And said, "Well, I can I can work on that." So it started from that standpoint, where he actually focused his academic practice um, on that, creating the Renew Robotics Lab, which is all about human robotic interface, not a robot doing it in lieu of a human, but a robot helping a human do something. So, you know, when we're focusing on that, that was exciting. You know, it's like, okay, this is not just a piece of technology that's being thrown at a industry. It was created because of that very first quote unquote voice of customer that was, that was seen uh, through one of our co-founders. Got it. Got it. So, you know, in that same light, then what about the market uh, was compelling to you? Because we're talking, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, we're talking about rehabilitation, which seems to be a really antiquated market, which seems ripe for disruption. But the concern is that is a market like that even ready for technologies like this? Yeah. So the, the market itself, and that's when I was doing my due diligence and you look at uh, rehabilitation, I saw the, the, the vast need for it. So, um, of course, we're focused on the shoulder. So I'll just talk about the disease states that, that go into rehabilitation for the shoulder. So one of the predominant ones that, that, that seems to have touched every um, family at some point is stroke. You know, there are just in America, there's about 800,000 new, you know, de novo strokes each year, which approximately 600,000 of them have some upper extremity deficit. It's a very common, you know, occurrence after a stroke. Um, so you have that 600,000 coming in to need some form of therapy. They're not all going to be inpatient. Some of them are going to go outpatient. Some could be home, but they all need some form of therapy too. In that case, it's a neurologic issue where they need to retrain uh, and, and learn how to, to move again, literally get that synapse connecting again. Um, so there's that disease state. Now, that's the incidence rate, but the prevalence of stroke, you have all 10 million people who have had a stroke in our living and have some level of deficit, you know, in a chronic stage, you know, a year later. So you have a large population there uh, of people needing treatment. That's just stroke. Now take a look at trauma, trauma to the shoulders, sports, auto, um, even just life. We're, we're living longer. You know, I, I have a, a mother-in-law that hurt herself, you know, reaching for dishes, you know, has a shoulder injury from that. You have these type of, uh, of injuries that happen all the time. And as the population ages, you know, you get more and more of them. There's 300, 3 million uh, shoulder injuries, de novo shoulder injuries each year in America. So you have this large population that are going for, you know, going to the doctors, their orthopedics, surgeons to figure out what do I need to do, sports medicine, uh, what do I need to do? So you have that large disease state. Then we have all the chronic conditions that have some level of upper extremity uh, issue that also go into a rehabilitative um, the, the rehabilitative market. You got the Parkinson's disease, you got muscular dystrophy, multiple sclerosis, ALS. You know, so there's a lot of these. They actually make up about 10 to 15 percent of all, all rehab done as well. So you have 
a lot of patient demand, absolute need there. These are not elective uh, procedures. These are actually injuries. These are strokes. These are chronic conditions that they need help. Um, then you look at the actual physical footprint, and I was floored with, uh, you know, when you look at the cascade of uh, patient care in rehabilitation, uh, if you're at a certain level, like highly um, impaired, you could go from, for example, you have a stroke and you're highly impaired, you go from that ICU, uh, they, they stabilize you, and then you go into an IRF, an inpatient rehab facility, um, if you meet certain criteria. Well, there's 1,200 of those just in America. There's thousands and thousands of outpatient facilities, but there's a good, we, we've identified like 2,500 just in America that are very comprehensive outpatient centers. Um, so, and then there's 15,000 plus skilled nursing facilities uh, that you could also go into depending on, on your state. And then 38,000 orthopedic and PT clinics out there. So this, this hmm. is the market where rehab at different stages in the cascade or continuum care. Sometimes you don't enter it in the inpatient. You enter it right away in the outpatient, but it is a large physical footprint. Um, and I was just amazed by that. I mean, I've, I, as you mentioned in my history, I was heavily in the surgical robotics, which you're always looking at those 5,000 U.S. hospitals. But really, what segment of those had the ORs that you really needed to be in? You know, initially, it's funny, intuitive, we thought like 1,500. Well, of course, they've blown past that. Um, in, in Missouri, it was 2,000 in America, the neurosurgical suites, the spine suites. But I'm talking tens of thousands of places where, where rehab's done. And it's done manual. It's not done with a high level of technology yet because we haven't focused on it. I, I don't blame the caregivers or clinicians. They're fighting hard to do the best they can. Patients need it. They're not getting the level, the dosage. Um, they're not getting the intensity of treatment they need. So, you know, in my in my history, that's exactly where you add the robot, you what? know, a ro robota. Let's say get the get the arduous labor out of the way to um, make it happen. And why why is that? Why are they not receiving the um, the the level of of intensity and dosage in terms of therapy? Like, why is that? Yes. Well, there's there's already a shortage, uh, well-documented, of occupational therapists, physical therapists. So you don't have the people uh, in order to do it. You have a high patient demand. You don't have a, the supply side to be able to do it. Um, so it's very difficult. And there's been studies done to show, you know, where the academics say you might need 300 repetitions to get the the level of, of improvement in the, you know, the study saying outcomes and they're getting 30 or 45 repetitions. You know, you, you're in an inpatient facility 24 hours a day and you're getting maybe three hours of, of, of therapy combined. And that's all different types of therapies that you're doing. I'm not saying you're going to get 24 hours of care. Of course not, but maybe a morning session and an afternoon session and an evening session, because if you want to up the dosage, that's the way to do it. So, but you got to help them to be able to do that. And one way is to automate the repetitive and redundant nature of it so that they can have more access and more throughput in their, in their therapy. Interesting. When, when a patient goes to that kind of therapy, you said it's what's recommended is like, th let's say 300 repetitions, they get 30 to 40. How much time usually is that? And how many therapists are involved? Yeah. So, well, it depends on what type of, um, of therapy you're doing. There's of course, you know, the, multiple different ways, but you have upper extremity therapy. There's also the lower extremity, uh, extremity therapy, there's speech uh, therapy. So generally these sessions are, if you're focusing on upper extremity, they'll get 45 minutes to an hour in the upper extremity per day. If you're in an inpatient, normally in an outpatient setting, that's about the, the session that they get 45 minutes to an hour. 
Um, now, it depends on the level of deficit on how many um, caregivers are, are involved. Uh, you can do a one-on-one, um, and you have in some cases, but in a lot of the heavier deficits, especially in the inpatient, you'll have multiple caregivers, multiple clinicians on one patient, sometimes two, three, and I've seen four if you're doing like a lower extremity walking exercise. So you, you have heavy labor intensive just to get that one session uh, uh, completed. Got it. Got it. That makes a lot of, that makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, outside of the use cases you mentioned about, about stroke and rehabilitation, I mean, um, you know, shoulder injuries are, are something that's quite common, you know, like in sports and many other things. Uh, is there any standard currently in terms of assessing, and this is kind of opens up the topic of a category, which is, uh, you mentioned shoulder health, at least to my knowledge, I don't even remember seeing anything like that in medical school. What what does the pre-assessment look like if somebody does not have a stroke or an injury? Is there such a thing? Yeah. So there, there are assessment mechanisms. So when, uh, you know, in speaking with orthopedic surgeons who focus on shoulder, you know, I've asked what, what is your intake? What's your input into it? It's like, of course, a, an x-ray, you know, which shows good bone. Uh, sometimes, you know, when you talk about soft tissues, MRI is great. Uh, but the the deficit is it's that's a static image. You know the shoulders dynamic. We move. I mean, mm. it's motion. You know, so you could have in in one fixed state, you might be able to find out exactly what's wrong, but you're not necessarily sure until you see motion. And and motion's very then very hard to capture up to this point. Now we've had mechanisms to do. What's your range of motion? You'll see therapists use a goniometer. It's a protractor. You, you mm-hmm. hold it up and you take readings. You know, you take readings on, a, you know, and you write them down. Uh, very analog, you know, <laughs> very, very old, yeah, very old school, right? So it's one of those where, you know, what, what I've been talking to the clinicians, and when we show them what we can do from data capture, they they actually get dynamic data capture. They get to see the range of motion, the degrees along the the different arcs that they want to look at, the planes of movement, and they get to see force generation while that's being done. So, you know, there are some, it it can expand their ability to diagnose and figure out what's going on. If you know there's a certain level of deficit at some point in the arc, you may be able to be more informed about making a diagnostic uh, decision on what should be done and what can be done or when it should be done. And and similarly, that's in the pre-stage. In the post-stage, it's a great snapshot of where they are. Right now, a lot of the mechanisms for assessment are you know, questionnaires and they're, they're somewhat subjective uh, because they have to. You have to have something to assess, but they can also go to binary. You know, can you do this? Yes, no, um, which is, is good for objectives. You know, you, you need to have a goal and can they lift their hand up? Can they drink water? So forth. Yes, no. But what we're trying to get is also to give them more data to show, well, Along this course, if they're on their seventh session and you have data showing that in session four, five, six, they are incrementally getting better. That is a patient that you should put time and effort into to continue on because you could maybe get them to 100 percent of the way we've been coded now and the way things are going on with, you know, they, they get a set, do 10 sessions and that's it. You know, it's what you get. And then at the end, is it yes, no. Um, so we're trying to give more data to the, the entire system, not just the, the clinician and the caregiver, but this would allow payers to be uh, more apt to authorize because they have objective data, you know, quantifiable data showing progress. Uh, and there should be arguments back and forth between payer and clinician about, is this working? It should be mm. very clear. Right. 
Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, in a moment, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. I do have some videos of the actual robot and technology. I want you to kind of walk us through it. Uh, but, you know, I see, you know, more people have kind of joined the stream, uh, presuming different investors because I've seen. <laughs> so uh, what I love about this show is uh, I tell people, please leave your questions in the comments. But I get more questions in my direct messages because I think some people do not want to be highlighted, which is fine. So I've gotten uh, I won't. I won't call you guys out. I've gotten two different uh, investors asking me the question that I hate asking, and I'll explain why I don't like asking this because I think it 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 removes the possibility of what can be created, which is the category. But the number one question I'm sure every investor wants to know, and let me go ahead and just bring it up here, is what is what is the po potential total addressable market uh, for this? Yeah, so it, <laughs> it's a great question. It, 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 again, it all depends on how you quantify it. If you get into an assessment device, you're definitely into not only the, the 1,200 IRF placements, the 2,500 um, outpatient comprehensive, the 15,000 SNFs, the 38,000 clinics, you know, and, and you can extrapolate that out. So it's a, you know, what I'm looking at is the U.S. It's a 12 billion total addressable market in, in the U.S. And then you could probably double the triple that from an international standpoint. They have a bit of a different structure, but uh, they definitely have rehab and, and, and assessment, you know, uh, in orthopedic clinics uh, worldwide. So you're talking about 12, 12 billion, you know, just to, and take another slice at it, just in that IRF in the inpatient rehab facility, Medicare puts $10 billion in a year and that's just Medicare. So you, you add the private pay, you get, you're probably about a 20 billion just in those 1200 IR, IRFs. So there's a lot of money. It's big. Got it. Got it. So more or less 12, 12 and 12 in the United States, 16 internationally. Yep. Okay. And, and this is, you know, before I share my screen, just because uh, I hate, I, I really hate this question. And the reason why, again, so a lot of investors don't like that I, I say this, but it's true is that, you know, I'll, I'll use Dr. John Simpson, who founded uh, Fox Hollow, and I think Avenger and essentially created the interventional cardiology market. And when he was trying to raise money, you know, a few decades ago for, for, for his first uh, uh, product with the stent business, he was constantly told, oh, the peripheral vascular market is too small. Well, that's until you actually develop uh, products that expand a category, and that's a multiple billion dollar uh, uh, category now. So while the TAM for this market is sizable, I believe it's going, if in fact harmonics can do that, where you introduce a new category of shoulder health, which is this pre-assessment, you know, essentially using the, the, the technology before somebody has an injury, I think it, I mean, I don't know, I, it could be closer to 20 or even 30 well, here in the yeah, United States. You're correct, Omar. It could get, it could get crazy. I'm trying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on that physical footprint that we know is there and, mm -hmm. and the patients that we know are there, but you are correct. When you talk about shoulder health and assessment, it goes beyond and it gets probably more even into the preventative, you know, one of the top uh, injuries in a, in a warehouse environment is an upper extremity shoulder injury. So, you know, it's not too far to, to, to extrapolate to say that the Amazons of the world or other, you know, large, um, you know, employers would have the ability to have this shoulder assessment, you know, to show a shoulder health at a point in time because of the, you know, the workers comp implications going, going later, you know, throughout the career of somebody working in there. And you'd be able, same thing in the military. 
You know, we don't get it. I was in the military. You didn't really get assessed in the beginning. You get your assessment as you exit the military to see whether you have VA benefits. But if you, a lot of them are very orthopedic oriented. So having a, a, a crystal clear objective mechanism to say, hey, you come in in your military interest processing station. This is was your shoulder health at this point. And whatever it is, if it's two years later, 20 years later, you're you're exiting your your military service and you do your assessment. You know exactly what deficit happened during your service. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So let me. um let me do this. So I'm going to uh, bring up the next question regarding the technology. I'm going to share my screen. Um, so the next question, you know, it's going to be a big one, which is like, how can this robotic platform create a new category? So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. And Prentice, I'm going to need your help just to let me know uh, when you can see my screen. So I have a few videos pulled up. And for those of you who might have just had a seizure because of what I just did, I apologize. <laughs> yeah, so show's not perfect, you know. Um, so I have a couple of videos I pulled up from from YouTube. Can you can you see my screen right now, Prentice? Yes, I can. So we have your new new mission view. There's a data capture one you sent, but I want to just start with some with a basic one. So let's start with your basic video here, just to kind of show the technology and just kind of talk us through what we're seeing here. Sure. So so what you're seeing here is Harmony SHR. This is our flagship product. Um, what we've done, we're showing right away is, uh, you know, based on my experience, I know it's got to be easy to use. You can't have mm -hmm. fidget factor in setting up. So we've powered it so it power sizes. We've made it so that when a, when a clinician... Is that is, the power sizing right here? The, yeah, power sizing right there. So you hit a button and you'll have your unique identifier. Once you've been sized once, you hit the button and it's sized perfectly to you again. You don't have to do it every single time. Um, you have to be careful to make sure that they have the most time to do therapy in a session. If you're set, set, taking 20 minutes to put somebody in, it's not worth it. So we've made quick click. This you know, some of our patents are on clicking in and being able to move immediately within you know, minutes and not, not have half of your session just trying to get into the system. So what we're showing here is just the range of motion. And this is where the category, why hasn't the shoulder had any of this? Because nobody's figured out how to physically move the human shoulder correctly. Hmm. That's what we've done. You can take an end effector and move an arm around, but that's not moving you in the correct scapulohumeral rhythm. You have to be hmm. very careful with shoulder movement. You'll move differently. You'll, you'll maladapt and you'll take what may be a neurologic injury and create an orthopedic injury. Um, so we, we're just showing we could do all the things that a therapist may want. We could take through the, the exercises that they already do. We can automate it. And the, and the way we automate it is it could be a 100% moving for the patient or it could be 10%. So, uh, but it's also keeping them aligned to the right uh, movement. So it, it's a dynamic system that it's a sandbox for the caregiver to be able to do what they want to do without having to be the physical engine of moving that arm. We talked about, you know, it's sometimes there may be a um, caregiver clinician holding the patient and, and keeping them uh, in position while the other one moves their arms. You know, so here we can we can automate all that and, and secure the patient. So, you know, our range of motion, our ability to do what the caregiver needs is there. Um, and this is, you know, one mode we're showing here from the neurologic perspective is we can mirror what the good arm. So if this was a stroke patient and her, her, you know, one side is affected, her 
good arm could be the the engine for moving the other side. Now, what that's uh-huh. also what doing is making sure you have correct movement. She's her own control and she's doing, but it's also kicking in the neuroplasticity. She's intending to move. She's seeing herself move. So we've had mm. patients in here that are seven years chronic stroke who are couldn't move their their left arm up and now they're doing the touchdown symbol you know they're they're having fun and moving around interesting movements that they've never done in in years now there's a lot of studies that needs to be done it's like can we take those chronic patients and get them back we'll see but you know you got to have the tool to be able to 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 do those studies interesting and what you know that all makes sense in terms of the existing existing market today with rehabilitation what specifically about the platform maybe this is a good segue into uh the data capture like talk me through like what about this has the potential to design and create a, a completely new category which you know you and i have discussed which is around shoulder health yeah so well one you know we started as i said first we had to figure out how to move the shoulder correctly you know in the human way the scapular human rhythm so we've done that now you know the the unintended consequences of that is also it's like well while you're doing that you know exactly what's going on with the person so we're collecting the data we're collecting all the the degrees that they're moving their force generation there's 80 sensors in each arm so now you think well now i have all this data we have this dynamic data uh, set what what can i do with that and it's like well you have now a a dynamic snapshot of capability of, of, of functionality so to your point you know this is a creating a category whatever you want to call it is the fact that we can do much more than ever's been done with a shoulder instead of being reactive you could move upstream and be proactive um as i said this could be uh you in professional sports a way for you to assess all your athletes at a certain point in time see what's going on there's just so much that could open up because now you have that data that wasn't there before um it will allow for a, a lot of applications and a lot of study on you know proper mechanics um and also you know what's the degradation of certain um, activities on the shoulder itself interesting which now we're in that, you know, the natural thing that we normally are in medical, we always tend to react. So we are reacting. As I said, we're reacting to, you know, three to four million shoulder injuries a year in the U.S. We're reacting to the, the neuro deficit and stroke. Um, so we're doing a lot of that reaction. And, and this is a tool that may be able to come and be on the front side as well. I mean, it immediately has application in the therapeutic side, as we said. Uh, you know, we can take multiple caregivers down to at least one to one. On, a, on a, a patient doing therapy because we're doing a lot of the hard arduous labor for them in that and also you know my my vision is just like you, if you go to a spin class and you're sitting and there's 30 people on on the bikes and there's one spin instructor that's the way it should be for for shoulder therapy you should be able to flip the script of the ratio with one clinician one caregiver on multiple patients that will increase the access that will increase the dosage that will increase the ability um, for them to get their repetitions in get the intensity in so got it got it fantastic and um you know i want to go because uh, the thing that made me you know for 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 the state of medtech we have a lot of different companies that are interested in coming on the show uh but you know we have a bias towards high-tech stuff no offense to anybody um so what actually interested me in having you on the show was this idea around the automation being a data capture and i want to talk about that in a moment we do have uh somebody finally s- submitted a public question. So thank you. 
um, please, uh, again, I if you if you want to be private, I get it. You can send me a direct message. I would much rather you guys just post it in the comment thread. So we have a question. So Kristen, uh, Kristen Knuckles, um, her question is, are you able to restrict negative compensations one would see after stroke? Also, is there an interface to suggest movements slash movement pattern? Yeah, these are great questions. So, yeah, so we are able now in the very first iteration, we'll have uh, limitations in our capabilities, but the, the hardware is there. And what we're doing is working with the clinicians and caregivers, as we have so far, we've been at St. David's in Austin, we're in Shirley Ryan now to enable us to do what's needed you know so for example when you when you have maladaption or you're, you're moving in the wrong direction yes we can keep you in in the right direction in fact we're working on a mode as well where the clinician caregiver the therapist can actually move the arm exactly in, in the system as they want it to do and then the system will make sure that only moves in that manner uh, keeping them in in the safe zone that the therapist wants them in um, and then the interface where, yeah, so the, the other thing is currently when it comes out on the, the plan is next year, we had to focus on the hardware and getting it out there. And then right behind it is what we're building is harmonic access is the whole digital ecosystem behind it that'll allow you to have intense reporting. You'll be able, we can do cloud reporting, meaning that you could see the, the, the range of motion of the session. The notes will be done for you. You don't have to like sit there for half an hour after and enter your notes into a into a system. It, they'll be there. So that's what we're working on. That's part of the voice of the customer we're looking at too, saying, what do you need as a clinician? What, would, what could you do? Or as a researcher to move you forward? Because it's there that we don't have to create it. It's there. We just got to tune it so that it does what you want it to do and what it, you need it to do. Um, easily. Got it. Got it. Fantastic. And Kristen, thanks for the question. Let me move on uh, and pull up the data capture video. Let me just pull up the uh, question. So the question is, is, you know, I want to specifically know, like, how is this robotic platform a potential data play for investors? So I'm going to bring up the, uh, the video. So you guys sent me the video actually uh, a few days ago. I have not looked at the video yet because I wanted to, you know, have a live reaction to it. <laughs> um, but here's here's my one concern is that since the dawn of time, or at least the dawn of robotics, every robotic company has this concept where it's like, oh, if we're a robotic company, and we're getting some data, we're a data company, right? And that's just not the case, right? Just because you have data in a spreadsheet doesn't mean that you're a data company, number one. And number two, doesn't mean that that data is actually something that can increase your valuation as a company. Doesn't mean that it can actually provide any value or benefit to the end user, which in this case is going to be the clinician, right? So I want to specifically know, like, how is exactly that you guys can say that you might have a data play here for investors? So let me um, share my screen and jump to that video. All right. There we go. All right, so let me press play. So what are we looking at here? So yeah, this is an animation to show because you know whenever we show videos of the system, you're, you're focused on the hardware and what's going on in the outside, which is you know very nice. But what's under the hood, and that's what we're showing here, is what's being captured at, at every point in, in motion. And not only is it captured at every point, but the whole session can be you know recorded in in the data, so you know exactly what's going on. So where this brings you know shoulder health going forward is now you have dynamic 
you know, range of motion data, you, you, whether it's in this kind of version or, you know, however we want to present it. But you know, at a point in time, what this person can do, what their capabilities are or what their deficits are. Um, that's important from one, just your therapeutic choice and what you want to do. So we're not taking the therapy away from the clinician. We're just giving them more information to, to say what you should be doing, but now you have it. So it's very, it's in this objective data moving forward, you know, are you making progress? You know, is, is this something that's doing, you know, or, or you change your, your treatment plan based on, you know, what the data is showing. Now, they don't have this right now. I mean, you could do a, every time somebody comes in, you can do an assessment and assessment takes some time. You know, you get your goniometer out and you do a bunch and you can do a bunch of movements and so forth. Um, but we can automate that and make it so, so fast, so simple that you could have this assessment every time that somebody's on the platform and it doesn't take that long. It gives them a good snapshot and then they move forward. Um, that's in therapy. Now, prior to therapy, as I said, we've already sold a few devices to research uh, academic you know, institutions for research just for this capability. They're not even they're not going to use it on therapy. They just needed this capability, this ability to show specifically yeah. this right here. Yeah. In a dynamic ma manner. Yeah. Like getting it. And they can do different things during it. So, you know, some of the research will show what if they, you know, resist at this certain point? What happens? What if? You know, a bunch of the what ifs can be done and they have the data to show in in like, as I said, in motion and not necessarily in a, a snapshot where they have to stop and, and take a reading. So and now, so take so as we talked about earlier, you know, so why should this matter, too? But even on payers, there's been a lot in, in the in the payer system that is kind of gone into just buckets of therapy. Right. Hmm. It's like. You get 10 sessions. Why do you get 10 sessions? Well, that's what we do. You know, there's there's not a lot of clinical behind why 10. They just have to do something. They got to figure it out. And it's economics, you know. So, you know, this would be, allow for even the payers to take a look at. Is the patient progressing? You know, is there gradual improvement even that, yeah, we, we should keep going on this. And if not, if they plateaued. There's no argument of how they plateaued. It's it's clear in, in the data they plateaued in, in the reading, and maybe something else needs to be done or therapy's done, and and you go to more assistive devices or, or, or different things, you know, as as they live their life. So I think it brings more of a clarity to the what's currently now the argument of how much therapy and when therapy should be done. It's kind of defaulted to a packets of of therapy and it's cost control, of course, but it's because they don't have enough data to, to really say, is this going well? So, and, and that's, it's not something I created that, you know, I, in my due diligence on this company, I was looking in even to, to MedPAC, which, um, you know, advises Congress on Medicare rates and they have a whole chapter on rehabilitation and rehabilitative care. And one of their big asks is we need more objective data in this field so that we could put quality metrics in. Interesting. Interesting. And, you know, essentially, if if done correctly, this data right here can be used to essentially create those guidelines, potentially having like a new standard of how you assess patients beforehand, correct? Yeah, we could, we could get to a very objective, standardized, reproducible, uh, you know, assessment and automated. So it's quick and easy. It's not onerous to do. It's not hard to do so that you can do it more often. And that that will help advise and educate even the clinical studies being done on 
on rehab therapy or shoulder health to, to figure out what should be done or what can be done. You know, it's not too far to, to think that you do you know, even before orthopedic surgeries. You have a certain level of uh, capability. You did the surgery and afterwards you have your snapshot of what's going on. And then there could be prescriptive therapies for rotator cuff or for, you know, after total shoulder revision of what should be done. Uh, and now you have a system that will make sure that's, you know, you're compliant with that. Interesting. Interesting. Let me, let me come back to you for a second now. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we, we covered is, and let me bring up the, uh, the question. So I, I, I removed the question just so you can see the data capture. You know, you mentioned kind of like an interesting concept, which is the potential of this technology being used uh, like in the professional setting by like, let's say NFL teams or NBA teams and stuff. Can you kind of go into that? Yeah. And it's, it's again on the, you know, the, the be able to have really good objective assessment criteria. Um, so, you know, and again, it wasn't something I created. It was as I was getting out there and talking to certain surgeons and surgeons who do pro athletes. That they, they, I, this was voice of customer. You know, it was a orthopedic uh, surgeon who does shoulders and does a lot of the MLB pitchers said, "Oh, I would do this before." You know, and any time the 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 player came to see me, we do an assessment. I get my my uh, X ray as well. He says, "Right now, I'm just looking at an X ray." You know, asking them. You know, we we kind of look at it, move around, have some of that level. But if I had some dynamic ability to see, okay, where are you now? Where are we going? That would be extremely important to me as I look at, you know, and advise them on their, their clinical pathway forward. So, so, and that's if they're, they're already hurt or something, but then, as I said, from an actual capture device, you could, you know, part of your, uh, intake, your physical intake going into any league or whatever would be, what's your, What's your current capabilities? So, you know, you go get your harmony scan. Got it. Got it. So that for me, I mean, is really interesting. And I think this is what it, 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 it's, it's the thing that kind of opens it up outside of your traditional uh, med device investor, you know, because you have people at, you know, Andreessen Horowitz and Sequoia and Benchmark and these other places, they don't necessarily go into med tech, but the moment some healthcare or health tech technology can kind of cross the bridge over into a consumer application, they seem to get more interested. Um, but, you know, my only question to you is just, you know, what's, you know, it, it, if some, if some professional team ends up coming across a stream and they reach out directly to harmonics and says, we would like to buy one or two of these robots. Like, can you guys actually fulfill that order? Uh, well, yeah. So it, right now we we're, we're in the process. So where we are from a, a standpoint, you know, we'll be FDA registered. It's in the early part of next year. That's for you know clinical um, care application. I mean, right now though, as I said, from a research standpoint, we've sold systems and can sell systems and we make systems. They have that ability. Um, so, yes, we would be able to provide, you know, if they were capturing it for data, you know, giving therapy has to be post post FDA. When's your commercial launch uh, set for conservatively? So conservatively, we're looking at, um, you know, a FDA registration in the first half of next year and launching in the second half of next year. Got it. Got so we're, we're out on the road. We can show the system. We're going to be at four different um meetings in, in the fall here and we'll also you know we love anybody who wants to have us uh come in we'll bring the system in that's another wonderful thing about it we've designed it so it's really easy to use 
it fits into a small case. We throw it in the back of a Suburban. We can, you know, drive to your place. It's in. We plug it into a 110 outlet, and it's raring to go. So simple, easy. Nice. Yeah. That, very different from, like, the the robotic systems that I'm used to seeing. You have to hire, like, a truck, and, you know, it's it's And you got to schedule the install. Well, our install is roller in and plug it in. Is it really? So uh, it's hard for me to believe that. Is it really that easy? You just, you just plug it in, and, and you can – is it just yeah. click, you know – plug and play like yeah so we, we made it so from a from a user interface that was one of the things you could you can get real fancy you can have a computer next to it and you can have all this you know stuff but we're we've made it simple to use and part of that simplicity is that is like you roll it in it goes off the of standard power um it has a pendant that you use and you select and you use it off the pendant so we've already done one clinical use uh study more on the user interface you know at st david's in, in austin we rolled it in. We did a four-hour training, and we went away for two months. And we, we're not there babysitting it. We're not there teaching you how to use it. You can use it. Same, we, we have a system in Shirley Ryan right now. We did a training on it, and, you know, they're using it. We're not there. Um, we go in for, you know, maintenance. We go in if, if there's any troubleshooting issue, like hardware-wise, but not on how to use it. So that's, you know, simple to use. Got it. Got it. We got another question. Uh, let me pull uh, pull that one up. So Kristen, Kristen, we love the questions. Um, I appreciate that because I'm trying to manage uh, private private messages right now. So we have a few. Uh, we can call them anonymous investor questions. So if you're an investor or VC and you don't feel comfortable leaving a public comment, that's okay. I won't give you a hard time about it. You can go ahead and just shoot me a private message and I'll I'll highlight it. But in the meantime, while I get these other questions queued up. Uh, we're gonna get we're gonna be blocked here. So, question uh, from Kristen: uh, What if they have limitations based on soft tissue shortening? So they reach upward with the sound arm, and the robot is helping the impaired arm, but it's not comfortable for them to go that far. Can they refuse a movement, or does the robot sense that there is restriction there? Great question. Let me remove the question uh, for a moment so we can uh, see you. Yeah. So no, it is a, a very good question. So yeah, that's one of the, the misperceptions when you talk about robot movement that it's like jamming you through. Actually, our robot is all based on impedance control. So yes, to a, a short answer to yes, if there's a certain level of impedance, then the, the, the robot will not move forward. Uh, additionally, that the patient has control and the ability to, uh, you know, stop the, the, the movement. That's part of the, the impedance. So if they can, they don't want to move forward. It, you know, it will sense that and it will stop. The caregiver also has that ability as well um, with different mechanisms. And this is all on the different FDA safety that you have to do anyway. But um, that's the important thing. So uh, and it's in the different modes that you are. So when we're in, I didn't go into great detail on it, but when we're in pre-program mode, that's where the robot goes through the motion. And it's at 10 percent, 20 percent or 90 percent assistance. But even then, as I said, if there's impedance or stopping, it will not move forward in its uh, direction. Or if it's trying to be pushed off course in a certain level, it will not uh, do so from a, you know, a maladaptive na nature. Uh, in the freeform mode, so that's think of it as active freeform. You're, what I tell people who are not uh, used to it, it's like being in the deep end of a pool. You know, you can move around. It's not as hard to do. So it gives you a little bit of the, the buoyancy, but the patient is in total control. 
at that time. So there's no the, the robots assisting in the movement, but it's not demanding movement. So that in that free form acting mode, and that's what we've seen a lot of the caregivers, the clinicians, the therapists uh, use for what are called the activity uh, active daily. Uh, movements, you know, being able, are you going to able to to drink? Are you able to to wash your hair? So they they're in that active freeform mode, allowing them to do those. Um, and now you're capturing data while you do it as well. Uh, the final mode, bilateral sync. The patient's always in charge. It's they're driving the 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 system with their good arm. So if they don't want to move forward, they can stop at any time. So different Got mechanisms, it. but short answer is yes. Long answer is there are many different ways we accomplish that. Got it. Got it. So you got a couple investor questions for you. So uh, let's start. Uh, let's start with this one here. Um, pretty, pretty direct one. I guess this is why people don't want to publicly ask these questions. So uh, investor question, why should an investor consider investment um, in the shoulder health category? And I need to uh, correct that typo that I made and copy pasting that over. You're an investor sending me a message. Please make sure that you grammatically uh, correct any typos because I'm just copy pasting these things over. Um, yeah. So, apprentice, uh, so like, why should an investor consider investment in the shoulder health category? And again, you know, I'm uh, I'm very much pro look for investments that they're going to design a new category and engineer a new market. Um, you don't see it as much in the healthcare space, but if you look in the tech space, like every every founder or CEO says, "Oh, we're creating a new category." So I think that's really where that uh, question is coming from. Yeah, well, I would say one, uh, one, it's been very underserved from an investment standpoint and a technological standpoint. So th there's open ground there. Um, you know, when you look at the, the players in, in even in orthopedics, they're not necessarily in shoulder health yet. There's some of them that are definitely, you know, total shoulders and, um, you know, sports medicine. But the, the continuum of care of shoulder, they're not in yet. So I'll see the strategics moving in that direction where they'll be caring about the continuum of care from the, the assessment of in the beginning of overall health to the resolution of it. Now, from an investor standpoint, when I look at it, it's like there, as I said, the physical footprint of where uh, rehab and shoulder care is done is immense. There is a lot of it. The number of patients that are going into it is only increasing. So as stroke is, is actually going up, we're doing a really good job with the mortality of stroke, but we, we still have a, a large population with the morbidity of, of stroke. Um, and it's, it's increasing due to lifestyle and, and you know, a bunch of issues there. Um, we're, we're actually increasing on shoulder injuries. You know, we have a more active and, and, and aging population that wants to stay active. Mm -hmm. um, so there's more and more of those still coming. So this, this is, is not going away. We're not going to reduce um, shoulder, you know, shoulder health needs in, in the coming days. And in fact, it's, it's under attack from the fact that we can't put enough people toward it. We can't scale the people needed, the, the occupational therapist, the physical therapist. Uh, we can't scale that up enough. And even so, if we did, it, we're, we're adding them into a, you know, an inefficient process right now. They need the tools in order to do it. Uh, they need the ability to do their job without sacrificing their own health. You know, it, that's another thing. You take a look at therapists, the occupational physical therapists. There's a 20% chance every given year that they have of getting a workers comp related issue. Um, getting hurt, giving care. So that we got to get rid of. Our caregivers should not have to give up their health in order to provide 
you know, better health for others. So it, it's a just I just see it as a very large market that's not going away and needs help. So hmm. that's where, you know, I see technology going and that's where investment needs to go. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And I agree. And I think that makes it, that makes a lot of sense. What I like about, about least what you've sort of mapped out and shared is that there is an existing TAM that that's sizable, that's worth going after, right? It makes sense. It solves a need. It's a painkiller, not just a, you know, vitamin. That's the other thing is that I feel that especially in the orthopedic world specifically, there's a lot of robotic systems that come out really expensive, makes a little incremental improvement on the standard of care. This seems to be a much more radical uh, improvement because the current standard is human beings using, you know, using their own 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 bodies to sort of facilitate these motions. Is that the right way to look at it? Yeah, I, I think so. So when you look at the, you know, the the neuro rehabilitation space, we're bringing, you know, tools and equipment that will help them right now immediately um, and the need, you know, the, the lack of people, the arduous nature of it, we're, we're addressing that. And, and the physical footprint's there. I mean, it's happening, it's being done, it's, it's, it's a matter, and there's not a lot of technology or help there. We put a lot into the, the ORs. You know, we got to start focusing on some of these others. I mean, it's a continuum of care. It's one of the things, do a wonderful surgery on somebody, but then have, you know, have them have a suboptimal experience in the therapeutic uh, rehabilitation after. You just wasted that that surgical intervention. You know, it's, it's so we got to help and give the tools to the caregivers so that they can, you know, move that forward. I had that in the orthopedic space. Had a surgery, I got hurt in PT. Had to have the re redo, you know. So it's one of those where, it could have been a more controlled process. It could have been a more optimal process. It could have been a more data-driven process um, and would, would have helped out. So, Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And something, you know, we got a couple more questions. I want to be mindful uh, of your time. So for those who are, I see people, uh, more people joining and uh, jumping in and out of the stream. So if you have a question, go ahead and drop it in the comments. I'll either highlight it or if you're an investor, uh, as you can already tell, and you don't want to leave a public comment, go ahead and send me a direct message. I'm looking at my iPad for the direct messages to ask the question anonymously. But something I wanted to bring up, Prentice, about uh, something that you and I discussed, which is I didn't realize this, but in terms of adoption rate right now, the largest adoption rate in healthcare of robotics happens to be in orthopedics. Why Why is that? And then how is that? Why is that an important consideration for an investor? Yeah, well, I see in, in the orthopedic space, you know, when, you know, I call the bone work, right? You, you have a fixed, uh, fixed structure. So that lends itself well to, you know, to robotics in, in different capacities, you know, whether you're trying to attack that structure in a, a certain manner, um, whether you want to make sure you have the right planes and movement for that structure, you know, just like we are extremely precise in our automation and robotics in, in vehicles, in space. In other words, you can do that to the, the hard tissues. Uh, as well. It's soft tissues are the harder problem, right? They move around, they change, you have to be able to, to react to it. So that's where some of the advances in orthopedic robotics have not been able to be uh, matched in soft tissue robotics, because you have to have a very reactive environment until we figure out how the system can react to what's going on in the movement of soft tissue. So I think that helps with um, orthopedics. And as I said, there are a lot of these orthopedic um, fixes that are um, you can be standardized. You want them to be standardized. You know exactly what you want to do. You want a certain level of precision, precision, and you know that the actual movement of it. Well, go ahead. Don't have the variability of uh, uh, 
10,000 different people doing it different ways, do it the way you, you want to do it. So bring to the caregiver, the clinician, the ability to say, this is exactly what should be done here, and then give them the tools to execute on that intent. So they have perfect execution of what they wanted. Get rid of the variability of, of, of the human in the execution standpoint, where you can. Um, you still need to have them be there and be adaptable and, and do different things. But so that's where I think it's come on with with uh, orthopedics a little stronger and will continue to, to go. Um, and that's where we're, you know, on orthopedic aspect of it. The shoulder is it's it's skeletal, it's soft tissue. And, you know, so we, we know what should be done. We know how it's supposed to be done. So let's give them the tools uh, to get them there. Got it. Got it. Um couple i know uh, we want to be mindful of your time are you are you okay on your time apprentice we have a few more questions we want to ask and we'll sure. wrap up yeah. yep awesome yep. fantastic all good so so another question and again you know i think people are jumping in and out but like i want to make sure that we we address this you know a little bit a little bit deeper so investor question which is the data capture side of it right why is data capture and robotics important for a healthcare investor and if you don't mind like uh, i really like this question i'm just gonna like sort of you know, set up some context. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are about this. From my perspective, at least when I look at, um, you know, hardware used to not be sexy a few years ago, people were trying to move away from it, and they wanted to invest more in like just straight SaaS products, straight software. I think hardware is making a comeback specifically in healthcare, because the hardware, if it's if it's the right type, can facilitate a new approach, new steps in terms of delivering a specific type of care, whether that's a surgical procedure, or in this case, rehabilitation. So if you apply that, a physical product, then you're able to automate the data capture. And then that data is the thing that actually can be standardized and potentially change standard of care. Would you agree with that statement? And if you can kind of just, you know, add some more color to that? Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with that. You know, I'm a, a original training systems engineer, which is, you know, heavy on the process. So what I look at is, so why are data capture and robotics important? Well, you know, when you look at the a process, you're, you're as much as you can define and control the input to that process, you can then optimize the process. So the data is, is, is as much as from an outcome, but it's actually pre to be able to define what you're going to do in the process. So you optimize that process, and that could be very tailored to the patient you're talking about um, and what, what you want to do. The robotics portion of it is to get that repetition, you know, the, the repetition needed and the, the arduous nature of the process to make it standardized and reduce uh, variability there. So the data informs a better process. The robot makes sure that the process is executed as intended. Got it. Got it. All right. So my DMs kind of blew up. So I'm going to do my best to, you know, type and ask these. So one question from the private DMs uh, was, does the robotic platform have a shoulder health application for pediatrics? That's actually, uh, that's a good, great question, actually. No, that, that is a great question. And, and we're not there yet. So right now we used uh, NASA data to um, size the robot. So the the, the robot can size to down to the, the fifth percentile, smallest person, you know, using, uh, you know, the data that they have to up to the 95th percentile. So we do have a 10% there that's not going. As you, you, know, you think about pediatrics, it depends on where in pediatrics they are. They could be brushing up against that smaller um, limitation. We'd only know by getting them in there and sizing them and making sure. Now that's in its current form factor. So 
we're not fixed to that form factor either. So if we find that, that there's a significant need for a smaller version, that can be done. You know, so it doesn't change uh, what, what we're doing from the, the me mechanics and the data capture. We just in this current form that you just saw and you showed, we can do, you know, 90 percent of the population. Got it. Got it. Perfect. And then uh, next question after that, uh, this is actually a really good one. I don't know why I never thought to ask this question, but the person for the person who sent me this private message uh, is a great question. Um, who will be most resistant to adopting uh, the robotic platform? That's actually a great question. I don't know how I, we didn't cover that yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think, I don't know if there's like one, I'm not going to like layer a category of people or whatever on, on that. But what I will say is if you don't understand what it's doing, so if you think it's passive and it's doing all the work for the patient, then most of the uh, therapists and clinicians will not like it. All right. Because passive, action has been shown not to you know really push people through what they need to do to to in the therapeutic aspect so but that's not what it is but that's part of the education effort that we have to get out there if um people think it's just a gimmick you know for a marketing aspect then you know most of the administrators and, and those behind the rehab care and, and orthopedics will say well that's not you know that's not going to fly it's got to have you know, true clinical application. So um, I don't see one group saying this is not a good idea. I do see and I expect um, skepticism, just like every system I've ever, you know, promoted has been highly skeptical up front. And you just have to prove it with your product. You have to bring it through and, and what claims you make, you better, you better uh, deliver. On. Got it. God, yeah, I completely agree. And I think, um, you know, it seems that you guys are going through the right route clinically to prove that. Um, at least you mentioned that you had you had sold, um, you'd sold some systems to some research facilities. Are those research facilities now um, essentially partners with Harmonix to potentially publish some clinical studies and findings? Or what's what's the arrangement there? Yeah, so there's um, the, many of them bought it without any, there's no like, you know, uh, quid pro quo on it. They're actually buying because they needed it for their studies. Um, but the University of Houston, um, you know, Dr. Rose, uh, well regarded, and she'll be doing a lot of upstream research on on movement and stroke. So yes, it, it will help inform us of where uh, it can go. Um, and there's multiple other universities, uh, Penn State and, and Auburn University and University of Texas, um, that are looking at it from different aspects. Like University of Texas is going to look at it from a brain machine interface you know, put that next level of, of uh, technology onto it. So yes, it will inform, but a lot of the ones up front, because they are, and that, that's what they were sold for, that upstream research, they're going to be enlightening us about where it can go now that we have this tool. Got it. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So we got, um, unless I'm going to check my DMs. And by the way, Prentice, thank you so much for staying a little extra with us. So we got one last question. And again, for those who join, if you're in, at a venture capital firm or an investor, and uh, you want to learn more about Harmonix, you can go check out their website. Or if you'd like a deck, go ahead and please send me a direct message uh, uh, requesting that. I'll put you in touch directly uh, with Prentice and you can either set up a meeting or get the investor deck. So, yeah, and also uh, on that, Omar. Uh, oh, yeah, please. We had some wonderful clinical questions. You know, we have uh, an OT uh, at, within Harmonic Bionics. So I would love for if you have clinical questions, you know, ask Kylie. Uh, I'll hook you up with Kylie. She's our resident OT and we should go toe to toe on what it is and what it isn't. You know, we'll be very oh, perfect. Fair, but, yeah. 
Yeah, perfect. I think that's really good. I think that's super helpful also from the due diligence process is that, you know, sometimes doing the due diligence on the clinical side can be kind of a pain. So that's great that you're that you're offering that. That's fantastic. Um, so uh, last question for you, you know, as a startup, you know, as the old saying goes that you're always raising money. You know, we know that you're speaking, uh, you're, you're one of the uh, key presenters next week at uh, LSI Europe, you know, so Life Science Intelligence Investor Summit, their European edition. Um, so in the funding that you receive over the next uh, few months, the quest last question for you is what is the current funding being used for? What obstacles lie ahead in, you know, for, for harmonics in the next nine months? Yeah. So, so current funding right now, the use of funds is, is we're going through the uh, VNV process. It's a verification validation process, um, prior to FDA registration. So we're a, a 510k exempt. Uh, you still have to do all the, uh, all the requirements of 510k and then releasing a product. Uh, with a 510k we just don't have to put the 510k packet in uh, to, to do so we register and it could be audited immediately thereafter so we're doing all the things crossing the i's dotting the t's uh correctly so we're battle testing our system right now what's vnv it's like what's your lifespan if you're going to claim it, it lasts for five years you got to prove that so it's going through that battery of tests uh, right now so a lot of the funds um, currently are going into that so that's a hurdle but i think we're well educated going into that and we've done a lot of the testing you know beforehand so I, I, you know there's always risk there but uh, i'm pretty confident that we're going to execute on that and, and get through that um, and then the money raise you mentioned yes as we move toward commercialization so up to this point we've been we've had some revenue of course but we're pretty much pre-revenue from a clinical standpoint, from all those, you know, the target addressable market I talked about. So we'll be using, you know, uh, raising money to go full commercial and build up the, the worldwide sales and marketing team to scale up production, manufacturing, and then to also continue the projects uh, that we know we're going to come out with version one. And, and we think it's wonderful and it will do a lot of things, but we also know there's so much more it can do. And with that voice of the customer, um, from from both the, the digital ecosystem that we'll build from the different modes that can be created, you know, that's where uh, R&D money will go into so that we continue to delight the customer uh, year over year with advancements and, and enhancements. Got it. Got it. Fantastic. Well, Prentice, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Um, as I kind of wrap up, Sometimes it happens. Somebody just sneaks a question last minute. So we'll see if that happens. But I wanted to thank our audience for joining us. Uh, this is another great episode of the State of MedTech. And again, I want to remind our audience, if you're, a, uh, if you're a clinician, whether you're watching this live, you'll be receiving an email. But if you're watching this uh, on demand, check the show notes below, whether this is on YouTube or in the podcast. Check the show notes. You can unlock an AMA PRA Category 1 CME credit. That's courtesy of our partners over at CMFI. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes below. Go over and just write a few sentences of what you learned. And the best part about this CME credit, you don't pay a dime for it. That's right. The state of MedTech is going ahead and funding all CME credits for clinicians. Where else can you go and get free CME credits? Only this show. So make sure to check that out. You can check out our past episodes also and find CME credits there. Again, all of those are going to be free to you, the clinician, because that's at least what we're trying to do here at the state of MedTech. Last thoughts, Prentice. We'll let you have the last thoughts and we'll wrap up the show. I just appreciate everybody's time who's uh, who's watched this either live or, you know, we'll be able to see it after. And thank you, Omar, for the uh, ability to talk about it. Like, we're very excited here at Harmonic Biox to be able to come out and help the, the therapists, the caregivers, and to help more patients. It's, I think, as you 
talk to your, you know, within your family, you'll see the number of shoulder injuries, the number of strokes. Everybody's affected by this. I can't talk to somebody without them saying, oh, yeah, somebody just and they, you know, near and dear, one degree of separation or within their household. So we're excited about that. We, we want to make it better. We're reaching for, for better shoulder health. So, you know, join us on our journey. Absolutely. Well, look, Prentice, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really love what you guys are doing. You definitely came in the gauntlet, and I'm glad that you were able to uh, share like very reasonable uh, 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 reasons as to why you know you guys are creating a new category. And what I love about what you guys are doing is this introduction of a true approach to value-based care. We keep hearing that term thrown around by, by hospitals, but at least having the right hardware and data capture, this could actually move towards more value-based care in terms of assessing shoulder health before an operation, after an operation. And uh, my hopes is that in the next like five years, I, you know, I see some Harmony robots in the NFL, maybe in the UFC. That would be super cool. I'm sure Dana White would like to have these at the uh, UFC complex. <laughs> so I really hope right. to see that. So Sounds fantastic. Good. If we do our job, you will. So. Absolutely. Well, Prentice, go ahead and stay on for a moment. We'll talk backstage in the studio. Thank you all for joining to our audience. This is another episode of the State of MedTech. I am your host and head of state, Omar M. Khatib. We'll see you all next time. And don't forget, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and write something nice about us. We'll see you all next time. Bye for now.